0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. My name is Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 727 of our three year journey through the Word of God. We come to Isaiah 39 this morning. I hope you're doing well. I hope that you are enjoying this Christmas season. If you're watching this when it's first released, if you're watching this much later, This was first released in the Christmas season of 2023. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. It's been a blessing to us. And so we ask that again today, you would be faithful to speak to us through your word, that you would be faithful to write it on our hearts, that you'd be faithful to prepare us to hear it and to receive it, to believe it, and to live in response to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 39. At that time, Meridoc Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm, that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, days are coming when all that is in your house, and that which your fathers have stored up to this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of Of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. Now, Hezekiah's response to this word could not have been more different from his response to the last word he got from Isaiah about his own health. He hears from the Lord that he's going to die, so put your house in order. And he's absolutely distressed, and he's weeping, and he's pleading with the Lord for a longer life, and God grants him that. And here it is, not long after, because word gets out to the king of Babylon. Babylon at this time is underneath the Assyrian Empire in terms of being a vassal state. But when Sargon II died... Sargon II was a predecessor to Sennacherib. When he died, uh, the king of Babylon tries to assert independence. And this is sort of a political ploy that says, okay, Babylon's at sort of one end of the Assyrian Empire. Judah's kind of at the other end of the Assyrian Empire. Judah had already, you know, handed the Assyrians a stunning defeat with the help of the Lord that we read about in chapter uh, 37 that had happened, you know, a few years prior to this, uh, or a couple years, few years, we don't know exactly when, but that defeat happened. And then he gets sick and he recovers and Merodach Baladon says, well, maybe I can make an alliance here. So he sends a gift. He sends well wishes. So glad you're doing better. So happy for you. And as part of trying to size up Jerusalem and Judah as to whether or not they'd be a worthy ally against the Assyrians, this envoy wants to see what you got. Show me your goods. Take me on a tour. And so he does. He takes them on a tour. And this is understood that this is part of how diplomacy works. You have to sort of impress the envoys if you want them to enter into a partnership with you. If they find out you're poor and backwards and barely holding on, then you're not going to be much service to them against the king of Assyria. So this is a political move. What does Hezekiah not do here? What do we not see him doing anywhere in this chapter that we saw him doing in the previous chapters? He's not praying. He's not seeking the Lord. He's not calling for Isaiah the prophet. He's not He's not laying it out before God and asking the Lord for wisdom or for Success. He's simply doing the political thing that kings do. And it doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it, except in Hezekiah's mind, yeah, the Lord got them out of a tough scrape when the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, but there's no guarantee he's going to do that again. And just because the Lord did it once doesn't mean the Assyrians aren't going to come back, and the Assyrians are still the big kid on the block, and they're still a threat to Hezekiah. And so it makes sense that he would have allies, powerful allies. And these Babylonians, they're at the far end of the Assyrian Empire. They're kind of at the two ends. And so if the if the Babylonians can divert them and draw their attention that way, then maybe it can give some relief to Judah. Maybe they could even take back some land of Israel that had been taken. From the Assyrians, right? All of these political calculations, earthly political calculations, but no seeking of the Lord. And so he shows them all of his house and all that's in his storehouses. And Isaiah comes to him with a very, very simple question. Who these guys? What you show them? And he says, oh, they came from Babylon and I showed them everything. And Isaiah says, they're the ones that are actually going to conquer Jerusalem. The ones that you let in, the ones that you showed around, they are the ones who are actually going to conquer Jerusalem so that nothing will be left. And Hezekiah doesn't tear his clothes. He doesn't put on sackcloth. He doesn't cry out to the Lord. He simply says, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. Because he's thinking in his head, there's going to be peace and security in my days. I don't have to worry about it. Let somebody else deal with that. That's that's their problem, right? Reminds me of our politicians adding trillions of dollars a year to the national debt. Oh, that's that's their problem in the future. I'll deal with it later. It's arrogant. It's presumptuous. And this is the chapter that really, because it comes right after chapter 38, becomes so quickly evident. And I'm thinking, so was Hezekiah just faking his Devotion in Isaiah 38, This is these are the thoughts that percolate in the back of my mind as I'm trying to be a discerning student of Scripture. Was that a sincere prayer? Was it a good answer? Or would it have been better for him to be moved on and out for someone else to be? And that way this alliance with Babylon wouldn't have been attempted and these Babylonian envoys wouldn't have come and visited him because they came because they heard that he got better, right? So all these thoughts percolate in my mind and we're not given the answers. That's the way God is sometimes. Sometimes God just doesn't answer all of our questions because that's not what we need and that's not what he chooses to do. And so we need to be okay with that. We need to say, Lord, you are right and you are good. And so what can we learn? Based upon what we do know, what can we learn? Trust in the Lord. Seek the Lord, anchor your hopes and your future in the Lord. And tomorrow we're going to go to chapter forty, and we'll see that very clearly coming, as there's a gap. Chapter thirty-nine ends this narrative section, and chapter forty is written sometime later for these for these future generations who are going to be threatened by Babylon. That's what who chapter forty and onwards, primarily written for. So we need to hear this. We need to say, just because something seems culturally normal, just because it's acceptable in the world's eyes, just because it seems reasonable from a human perspective, doesn't mean it's faithful if it's not trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord, relying on the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are trustworthy. We can seek you and rely on you because you never fail. All earthly solutions fail. All earthly political processes are flawed and they fall apart. We need to anchor ourselves so firmly and so completely in you. Help us to do that by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That's Isaiah 39. Tomorrow, we're on to one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, Isaiah 40. Have a blessed day in the Lord.